Welcome to Your Child's Brain, a podcast series produced by Kennedy Krieger Institute with assistance from WYPR. I'm Dr. Brad Schlager, pediatric neurologist and president and CEO of Kennedy Krieger Institute. This month, we're discussing adaptive sports and their physical, mental, and community benefits. I'm pleased to be joined today by my colleagues from Kennedy Krieger, Dr. Aaron Michael and Katie Baldwin. Dr. Michael, a physical therapist, is the manager of patient advocacy and special programs at Kennedy Krieger's International Center for Spinal Cord Injury. She's also the founder and chair of Team Kennedy Krieger for the Baltimore Running Festival and other adaptive sports competitions. Katie Baldwin, an exercise scientist with expertise in community physical activity, is the supervisor of Kennedy Krieger's adaptive sports program and specializes in spinal cord injury rehabilitation at our Spinal Cord Center. And I'm really excited to introduce our special guests. Daniel Romanchuk, native of Mount Airy, Maryland, is a two-time Paralympian, 2016 and 20, gold and bronze medalist, world record holder, champion of multiple high-profile marathons, Chicago, Boston, London, and an advocate for individuals with disabilities. Also joining us today is Daniel's mom and manager, Dr. Kim Romanchuk, a physician and science educator. I should also say that Daniel has strong ties to Kennedy Krieger as he is a former member of the Bennett Blazers, which is an adaptive sports program for children and teens at Kennedy Krieger Institute that is led by a husband and wife team, the incomparable Jerry and Gwenna Herman. So welcome, Aaron, Katie, Daniel, and Kim. And Katie, let's start with some definitions. What is meant by adaptive sports and what are some examples of adaptive sports? Adaptive sports are basically all sports that are modified to allow physical or people with physical and sometimes mental disabilities participate. And uh, some, some examples of the types of adaptive sports that, that you interact with. Yeah, there are some outdoor recreational activities such as kayaking or fishing, sometimes snow skiing. There's some performing art arts um, activities, such as dance. You can do individual sports, such as wheelchair racing or hand cycling. And then there's team sports, such as um, basketball, rugby, sled hockey. So it really covers the waterfront of sports and, and sports types of activities that we, that we think of. Aaron, you've been helping individuals with disabilities get involved with adaptive sports for much of your career. So from a clinical, medical social perspective, what do you see as the value of participating in these activities, whether in elite competition for recreation and fitness? I think the list is uh, so extensive, it's kind of hard, but um, I'm going to try to be <laughs> concise. So from a physical standpoint, you've got improved strength and endurance, uh, decreased risk of cardiovascular disease, enhanced sleep, increased aerobic capacity. Um, the list kind of goes on and these things all lead to overall improved functional independence. So better transfers, better ability to move in their wheelchairs and so on. The social benefits are also far-reaching. There's enhanced quality of life, decreased symptoms of anxiety and depression, um, improved coping after their diagnosis. Uh, most importantly, even um, camaraderie or a better sense of belonging. Our athletes um, feel less alone and have opportunities to learn from one another. There becomes kind of a mentorship component. Um, I like to think of, we had a, one of our trips that we went on um, one of our patients was having trouble transferring in and out of bed on her own, and she had been working on it in therapy. But lo and behold, one of our fellow athletes on the trip was able to 
teach her the most effective way to transfer in and out of bed. So she's been able to be independent with that since that trip. Sports are fun. They promote pleasure in the day-to-day, and then they lead to improved self-confidence. The one thing that I personally love about adaptive sports uh, is the focus on what the athlete can do versus what they can't. Uh, I know many of our athletes report to us consistently that they hear from other providers or other people in the community so often of what they're not capable of. And participating in adaptive sports or recreation, they just learn how capable they truly are. It's really a compelling argument for participation in sports, whether it's, again, whether it's at the elite level or for recreation and fun, so many benefits uh, that that are both uh, straightforward and predictable, but just as you're describing, unanticipated, which really enriches the experience. So Daniel, uh, speaking of elite athletes, you're a champion many times over in wheelchair racing. Can you tell us how you got your start with adaptive sports and what sports did you play? Uh, did you play many different sports and then uh, hone in on wheelchair racing? What, what was that pathway like for you? Yeah, so uh, my parents uh, had heard about the Bennett Blazers program uh, from another family, um, you know, just before I had turned two years old. And uh, they actually, Bennett starts taking uh, kids at two years old. And so as soon as I was two, uh, I was there. Um, and, you know, those first few years, uh, it was basically motor development. And uh, so just them teaching us how to use our bodies uh, to, to reach our goals. And, uh, you know, it, it was just a lot of fun. Maybe it was balancing on a big exercise ball and throwing another ball at some pins uh, and knocking them down or playing games in the pool uh, and just things like that. Um, but, you know, as we got older, uh, you know, you'd get into more uh, organized sports. And so uh, I was swimming independently at three years old. I was playing uh, wheelchair basketball and uh, racing at four and uh, at five. I was playing sled hockey and all the other sports that they had offered, uh, you know, pretty much all the way through 18 years old uh, when I aged out. And uh, so uh, I, I started to uh, focus on wheelchair racing uh, when I was around 16 years old. Uh, long story short, uh, I, I basically had decided that I wanted to try and make uh, the Rio Paralympic Games. Um, but, you know, as I kind of mentioned, you know, I still continue to play all of the other sports uh, as much as I could. Yeah, that's it's an important lesson in youth sports in general. Uh, having an array of different types of athletic opportunities makes you a I, I would argue makes you a better athlete overall. I suspect it helped uh, with your your successes in wheelchair racing. When you look back, what what value do you think that participating in adaptive sports has had for you personally beyond beyond the immediate competition? It's really hard to uh, to really sum everything up. Um, you, I think uh, touching back uh, to what, something that Aaron had said, uh, you know, Bennett's motto is teach kids they can before someone tells them they can't. Uh, and, you know, that that was really a part of everything they did. Uh, they taught us to focus on uh, what we did have and uh, you know, not on what we didn't have or what didn't work. Uh, you know, it was never an acceptable excuse uh, to say that, you know, I can't do something uh, because my legs don't work. Uh, and I think, you know, that's a really important life uh, lesson in general. Uh, you know, I never thought about my, dis- my disability as an obstacle 
or, uh, you know, that I was uh, supposed to be limited by it. Uh, and so I, you know, it always kind of confused me uh, when I heard people talking or, you know, about, uh, you know, how inspiring I was, uh, you know, seeing me playing sports and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think just being raised in that I can atmosphere, uh, I, I never realized that there were supposed to be limits uh, that I was pushing or obstacles that I was overcoming. I was just being a kid, doing what I wanted to do and going where I wanted to go. Uh, and, you know, now I, I travel the world as a professional wheelchair racer. And uh, so, you know, adaptive sports uh, not only allows me to support myself, uh, but it's also given me a platform to advocate for and uh, support the disability community as a whole. Uh, and so I, I don't think it's an overstatement uh, at all to say that uh, adaptive sports really changed my life. It's hard to say anything other than that is just such an exceptionally clear and important message. Kim, when you look back, do you remember your thought process, why you got Daniel involved in adaptive sports in the first place, and what were your expectations and or concerns, and, and how do you think he's benefited? Yeah, well, you know, we had two other kids uh, that were older, and they had played sports from a young age, and so I guess we never really figured there was a reason why Daniel should do anything differently. Um, we weren't sure how, and that's why we were really excited when we found out that there was this adaptive sports program, Bennett, uh, that he could go to, um, because it did seem a little overwhelming, all the different um, things and we just didn't know anything about any of the stuff. Um, you know, I don't think we had any expectations really, other than he was going to have fun, hopefully stay fit. Uh, you know, we knew some of the more medical stuff about spina bifida that uh, you know, being being physically active was going to be important for him. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't even know if we knew the Paralympics existed at that point. Um, so certainly that that level wasn't on our minds. Um, Concerns, I'd say, <laughs> I do remember um, when Daniel was maybe four or five, he was starting to play wheelchair basketball and we would watch the older, the teenagers play and watching them just crashing into each other and going, you know, flying to the floor and everything, chairs and all. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, that that did get my attention a little bit. But then, I, you know, I really thought about, well, that's what our other kids do. Right. Um, and so Daniel, again, just didn't need to be any different that way. I think the first time I saw a wheelchair racing crash, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> they're going really fast and they're just flying like dominoes. Um, this is but you know what? Um, Daniel was an athlete and he wasn't I, we had to really resist the, the, you know, the temptation to wrap him in swaddling and keep him, quote unquote, safe. Um, and so um, we were really happy that Bennett treated him like an athlete and they didn't take any excuses or anything along those lines. Um, and so I think that just putting that that bar high and, and um, knowing what was possible and not making limits or challenges like the routine focus was really important um, in shaping kind of how Daniel thinks of himself. And that's what I see as the biggest benefit. So with that in mind, um, with, that, with your experience that you, that you just described so well, what advice do you give to other parents who are thinking about getting their kids into adaptive sports programs and may, may have similar um, concerns when they see the crashing of, of wheelchairs, whether on the racetrack or on the basketball court? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you if you know that that adaptive sports exist, you've already done the hardest. That's the hardest thing is we hear from so many families. Their kids are teens by this point and have had a disability since they were born um, and they didn't know it existed. And so when you know it's exists, you got finding a program is really helpful. Um, and so I think we may, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about some of the ways you can look for that, um, some things online for finding a program. But the, I think the biggest thing is just do it and do it now. Um, I think the younger that the kids start in adaptive sports um, and they're immersed in that kind of I can mentality, uh, the better. Um, and, I, you know, it's not just for kids who think, you know, who really love sports or that kind of thing. And I, I, I remember at Bennett, and I'm sure it's this way at adaptive programs across the country, um, you know, Jerry and Gwenna were paid just as much attention to a kid who would struggle to catch a basketball as the kid who could hit three pointers all day long. Um, and so it's not all about your sports ability. Um, it's that camaraderie, you know, that is, is there and learning from each other. Um, and I think another thing is it's not just about wheelchair sports and it's not just about people who use a chair uh, in everyday life. And that's a big misconception that uh, people have to get past. Um, people who have amputations or limb differences, uh, visual impairments, all of those, those there are all there are sports for all of those different types of uh, disabilities. And sometimes it involves getting in a chair, even if you don't use one in everyday life. And, you know, it's really some of our uh, most accomplished Paralympians really, there, there was a, this long process of getting them even to try a, a wheelchair sport. Um, but now they're competing on the biggest stage in the world. So just get in there and, and do it. Uh, let them fail, let them get frustrated and be a kid. Excellent. So and the Jerry and Gwenna that uh, Kim just mentioned, again, that's Jerry and Gwenna Herman, who lead the Bennett Blazers program, the Bennett Institute at Kennedy Krieger Institute. So, um, Katie, what questions do people usually have, building on uh, the advice that Kim just described, what, what questions do usually uh, you hear from people about adaptive sports? What kinds of concerns do you hear about prior to participation? Two of the first questions always asked are cost. How much does this cost? Can I afford it? Um, you know, going into the equipment, the equipment's expensive. You know, how am I going to get this for myself? How can I sustain this activity? Um, another question is accessibility. Um, how am I actually going to do this? Is it possible? I mean, there's so many people that have never tried it and they're intrigued and they're like, there's no way I can get into a hand cycle or no way I can get into a kayak and go paddling on the water. Um, those are like the two biggest questions which turn into concerns for a lot of our participants that we see in the community. Um, and then off of that is we get a lot of people who are looking for these resources where they live. So we may have, you know, at Kennedy Krieger, we see many patients from around the world. And yes, we offer these activities and events locally here, but they want to continue to do it at home. So how do they find it? Where, how do they do these things at home? How do they continue? You know, Kim, you, uh, you made the point that when Daniel started just uh, getting involved in sports, like the other uh, older siblings got involved. 
before your eyes uh, emerged uh, a world-class athlete. At what point did you recognize that Daniel had that potential and, and how did you rearrange um, your, your expectations to, uh, to, to facilitate making that happen? Um, I, I think, you know, pretty early on, it was clear that Daniel was just a coordinated kid. Yes, his legs did not work uh, typically, uh, but it, he just, you could tell him to do something and he could replicate that motion pretty early on. So, okay, whatever that's worth. Okay. Uh, but he also had uh, a, a really good work ethic. He, you would tell him to do something, um, Jerry and Gwen, especially if it came from his coaches, maybe not so much us, but, um, and he would do it to the T. Uh, sometimes very literally, and uh, no shortcuts involved. I, I remember one time, Jerry, I think they were doing strength conditioning, and Jerry told the kids to do dips um, until, you know, just do as many dips as they could. And he forgot, like, Daniel was listening to this. And so, you know, the other kids are smart, and they, like, they stop when it starts to really hurt and stuff, you know. And Daniel just keeps going until he physically could not move anymore. And I think that the next day they had a sled hockey game, and Jan Daniel couldn't move at the elbow. <laughs> he was so Jerry's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that one kind of backfired on me. Um, but, you know, it wasn't ever until probably his mid-teens it wasn't ever something that we made it a goal. Um, it was just give the opportunities there. There's so many different sports to try, try them all. And then, you know, once he did decide, then he made that decision that he wanted to go for that, the Paralympics. Um, then, yeah, a lot of rearranging had to be done, but that wasn't until he was mid-teens. Daniel, uh, I think most of our listeners and everybody on this call, we can say that we're not really elite athletes. So can you tell us what it's like? What's, what's the experience? Uh, what's your training schedule like, nutrition, preparation? And what does it feel like to be able to compete on the world stage? Uh, there's a lot. Uh, so I, I basically train uh, one to two times a day for about an hour, an hour and a half uh, each time uh, year round. Um, most of the time we train uh, out on the road or uh, on a track, um, but in the winter uh, we're inside on rollers, which are, are basically our version of a treadmill. And uh, so, you know, we also do a little bit of strength work in the gym, uh, but, you know, it's mostly body weight stuff uh, just because of the nature of our sport. Uh, we need to maintain a lot of flexibility in our shoulders, uh, so we don't want to bulk up too much. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I certainly do have to keep a, a pretty close eye on my nutrition, uh, so that, you know, my body has the fuel it needs, uh, but, uh, not so much that I, I don't fit in my, it fit in my racing chair. There's, there's not too much forgiveness, uh, in aluminum. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, uh, you know, I'm on the road, uh, traveling at least, uh, a third of the year. Uh, and so, you know, learning how to travel uh, while using a wheelchair and, uh, you know, having uh, to keep in mind uh, medical things, uh, you know, has been a it's been a big process. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as competing on a world stage, um, you know, I, I actually try not to think about that too much. Um, I, I, you know, I basically whenever I find myself, you know, kind of in too deep at thinking about that, I just remind myself. It's another 400 meter track, just like the one that I train on at home. And, uh, you know, at that point, I've done all the preparation. So just go out there and race.
But uh, of course, it is a huge honor to be able to represent the, the United States at uh, you know stages such as the Paralympic Games. Uh, you know, it's just it's an amazing experience. Knowing a bit about you, we know that you're very much involved in, in mentorship and mentoring young athletes. Can you tell us a bit about that and, and why why you got involved in that that part of your of your experience? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, one of the coolest things about Bennett was uh, that the athletes who had, uh, you know, people who had gone through the program and aged out, they came back to the program and, uh, you know, t- they taught us about the sports, but, uh, you know, how to play sports. But really, you know, it was uh, also just w- what we saw them, you know, having done, you know, they had gone to the Paral- you know, some of them had gone to the Paralympic Games uh, but, you know, they had gone to college on a scholarship for athletics and, uh, you know, they had gotten a degree, gotten a job, had gotten married and were, you know, had, had family. Uh, and so just leading a normal life. And uh, so, you know, we saw that and figured our future is going to be no different. I've been uh, you know, trying to just continue that, trying to get back to Bennett where, whenever I can uh, and, or just other adaptive sports program around the country and try and work with the athletes. Um, I've been, been making uh, videos to try and help people uh, just know how to, to take care of uh, their equipment. As, as Katie had said, uh, you know, the equipment is, uh, is a lot to work with uh, in maintenance and you know, where do you get it and uh, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I've also traveled to some junior competitions to, uh, to help mentor the, the younger athletes and especially those, uh, who might not have a, a local program that they can help, uh, that can kind of help them, uh, learn. Well, uh, one of the things we can do, uh, uh, for this podcast is put links to some of the, those resources that you just described, Daniel, that, that would be great. Are kids who get involved in adaptive sports? able to compete in school, like at the high school or collegiate level? What, what kind of obstacles are, are there for uh, participation? I'm hoping Daniel and Kim can fill in some of the spots here that I might miss. But I know for the high school student, um, many of them compete alongside their able-bodied um, classmates or peers, or they participate in programs outside of their school, such as Bennett, such as the Bennett program. Um, Many of the sports or activities offered at the high school level um, are really only, I think the only sports are really that are offered are track and field. I don't think there's really any competitive um, like wheelchair, basketball, or any of that type of um, team sports um, for children in high school. Um, I know for the college um, student, there's only a handful of colleges that offer adaptive programs um, for athletes. Um, and so it's pretty tough to find where they want to go and things like that, but they do exist. Um, so definitely having those resources and knowing what does exist is important. Um, some of the biggest obstacles for this is funding. So high schools, for instance, might not have the funding to create a program or a college to create a program, the equipment, um, programming, somebody who's familiar with adaptive sports or has the experience or knowledge of how to run this type of program and then accessibility again just accessing the environment if a parent wants to help their child to get involved katie where might they go for more information and again we for opportunities and equipment and we can put this uh, on the podcast website as well yeah um 
One of the ones that I refer to refer a lot of our patients or parents to is Move United. Um, they're an excellent resource as far as finding locations where adaptive sports exist, um, grants that exist, equipment needed, rules, regulations, that kind of thing. I find Move United is very, very um, resourceful in that in that realm. Kim, Daniel, did you want to comment? Yeah, if, um, just to yeah to to jump in here a little bit with the um, the high school sports. Um, for sure, most states have their it, it's it's individually regulated by each state whether an athlete can compete for their school or not. Um, and absolutely, track and field is the biggest one. I've also heard of some um, states that have swimming. So another individual sport that they can participate, potentially earn points for their teams, that kind of stuff. Um, I think one of the biggest barriers there is getting education for the coaches um, who are maybe very willing, um, but just lack the resources. And so that's where a lot of the um, programs located across the country, like Bennett or Great Lakes, it has a, a great program. Those coaches oftentimes will act as resources for the high school level coaches to say, hey, you know, what should a workout look like? And really, I think you'll find the the adaptive sport community is just incredible at jumping in and helping people. It might be your competitor, but that doesn't matter, right? They, they see the bigger picture uh, better. In colleges, uh, the, the number is growing um, as far as the number of uh, uh, universities that are offering adaptive sports. And there, absolutely, there are scholarships available um, and more readily available than you might think. Um, so it's definitely something to, you know, get in there and do some research. Erin, I know that some of the athletes in your program who have spinal cord injuries travel all over to compete. What are some of the clinical and medical concerns or considerations that you have to take into account for safety and, and travel? Yeah, I think one of the big ones is the equipment. Unfortunately, the reality is that there's a significant risk for damage to personal medical equipment uh, while traveling. Um, we've seen parts of wheelchairs go missing or a wheelchair malfunctioning completely after travel. We highly suggest connecting with a supplier or an equipment manufacturing rep uh, local to your travel destination prior to travel. That helps ensure that you have someone on the ground that can help with any damaged equipment and maybe keep you functional <laughs> wherever you're going. Uh, skin is another big one. Uh, changes in circulation, tissue strength, and muscle mass cause many of our athletes to have a higher risk for skin breakdown or wounds. So it's important to be thorough with skin checks and performance of pressure reliefs while you're traveling. Often um, the athlete is not using their prescribed wheelchair and the seats on planes or trains can be pretty unforgiving. So keeping track of skin is a big one. Another one uh, with air travel, blood clots. Um, many of our athletes are at higher risk for blood clots in general because of changes in circulation and mobility. And then there's the heightened risk uh, while you're in the air. So being aware of signs and symptoms of a clot and talking to your doctor prior to traveling. Medications, um, knowing what you can carry on your person, researching if medications are that you're taking are illegal at your different destinations. Especially lately, um, there, we've seen more and more delays and unforeseen circumstances in travel. So trying to prepare as best you can. 
Another big one is the accessibility at the destination, the hotels or rental property, the businesses and public spaces that you're going to be accessing. Um, we have learned that accessible uh, means different things at different places. So we find it best to ask very specific questions, especially regarding places where you're planning to stay. So really, you know, getting the details of, for example, of what the bathroom looks like. Um, if a and if you're a wheelchair athlete, um, if your wheelchair can actually fit into the bathroom. And then service animals. We haven't traveled outside of the U.S. for any of our trips so far, um, but it is important to note that different countries have different policies on service animals. So if traveling with one, you want to know those guidelines ahead of time. And then I think my biggest piece of advice is to manage expectations um, it is highly likely that something's not going to go as as planned. And so we've adapted to taking our travel snafus as learning opportunities and when appropriate, um, as a chance to educate the greater community about people with disabilities. So, Aaron, let's talk about competitions, including one that's very near and dear to our hearts, and that's the Baltimore Running Festival. Where and when and how does that competition and others like it work? Yeah, so it, this is a tough one to generalize because um, it really does depend on the type of activity we're discussing. Um, between Bennett Blazers and Team Kennedy Krieger, there are a variety of activities occurring all throughout the year and in different parts of the country. Um, we do keep an updated list of activities on our website. And we consistently post opportunities for Team Kennedy Krieger in our private Facebook group, um, which is Team Kennedy Krieger Adaptive Sports. As far as Team Kennedy Krieger or Bennett Blazer activities, um, there's stuff being posted on our websites. The important thing to know is that for a Kennedy Krieger sponsored event, there will be staff members or volunteers present to guide the athlete through the process. So um, there's somebody there to support you. Regarding the Baltimore Running Festival, um, that's occurring right here in Baltimore City on October 15th. Team Kennedy Krieger is a charity team in the event. We have adaptive athletes uh, hand cycling the full marathon and then walking or pushing in the 5K. Our hand cyclists each get um, a bike escort on the course to ensure their safety and their visibility. Our 5K participants get an escort, uh, often even a whole crew, um, to navigate the course with them. So you truly are not alone when you're on this team. Uh, we have a team tent in the Charity Village, and we meet there in the wee hours of the morning before the race uh, for coffee and pep talks. Um, and the races all have different start times. So we actually, we typically have a convoy that goes off to each start line. Uh, so again, not alone. And um, once our athletes cross the finish line, they can come back to the team tent and we can all celebrate uh, the accomplishments together. Uh, I think there are two big things I'd like to note about this event. Um, team Kennedy Krieger welcomes participants without a disability to join us at any distance. Um, so come on out and run and or walk with us. And this is our primary fundraiser, which allows us to maintain our extensive programming throughout the year. So without this event, there is no, no team. Yeah, come on out and support the Baltimore Running Festival. Uh, it is, it's really an outstanding event. Uh, it's, even if you're not participating as an athlete, it's, it's energizing to be out there. So thank you so much to this month's guests for the lively discussion about adaptive sports. We hope all of you listening in have enjoyed the discussion as much as we have. We hope you'll share this podcast with your friends and consider rating it as well. We invite you to check out our entire podcast library 
at wypr.org slash ycb, kennedykrieger.org slash ycb, wypr.org slash studios, or wherever you get your podcasts.